You guys can grab a seat. Man, it's good to see you again. It's really good to be here. This is like my annual day to come back and get uh, connected with you, reconnected with you and uh, get to know you. And if you're new around here or just came in a few minutes ago, my name's Jason Vance and I'm planting, uh, pastoring Valley Life Church in Surprise. We always call it Valley Life Surprise. And I wonder if you hear it like Valley Life Surprise or if the context, you know, uh, connects with you. But the name of our city for reasons I can't understand is Surprise, Arizona. Um, and so anyways, it, that's why we are called what we are. It's very contextual. We're trying to live like missionaries. We didn't want to name our church after another city. So that's why we did what we did. But Josh, thank you for letting me be here today and connecting with you guys and seeing you. Josh has been a dear friend. This church has been a dear friend to me and my family and our church since we uh, started it. Really, I think that this church started or the idea of, of my family planting that church in your driveway I think there was a day we went up to Oklahoma City and came back and probably spent about two hours in my truck just talking, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate you letting him <laughs> do that well into the evening, uh, just trying to get some clarity around what God was calling me to do, and so it's nice to know, uh, it's nice to know there are a lot of people who could think of us and pray uh, for us as they think of us, but it's also nice to know like there are people who call and regularly, Josh will call and say, how can we pray for you? We're praying for you this month. And then there's those people who tell you they're praying for you, and you're, I mean, you don't like think they're lying, but you don't really know if they're telling the truth, you know? <laughs> but then some people are like, when I, I tell you I'm praying for you, you believe it, and I believe it when you guys say you pray for us, and we experience those prayers, and we're grateful uh, for them. What I, what I want to talk to you guys about today is sort of tell the story of how we planted our church and how God worked through our church, how he's still working at our church, and how he's working through this church or any church that is planting the gospel in a community so that they can harvest a church. Uh, that's how we plant churches. We plant the gospel. We sow seeds of the gospel. And to be really on the nose about that, I mean, we open our lives and we open our mouths to tell other people about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, that with Jesus' life, he accomplishes righteousness because he obeys all of the commandments that his Father had given us for righteousness. With his death, he atones for our sin, pays in full for our sin, absorbs the fury of an angry God against sin. He goes in our place at the cross he raises from the dead three days later to give us a literal hope, like handlebars on a Harley Davidson, something to get a hold of, that our hope is not in a promotion at work or our kids going to bed on time or whatever circumstantial happiness could give us. Like happiness depends on what happens, and I hope you have happiness in your life this week. I really do. I think that's important, but that's not joy. Jesus can give us joy to where our eyes are fixed on the skies ripping apart, heaven descending to earth, right, writing everything that went wrong, Satan and sin going to hell forever, and us living at peace as we were intended with our God. And so we share that with people, and people will believe it or reject it. But when we plant the, the seeds of the gospel in our communities, we will make a church. And so it was this time about six years ago, I think it was 2013, uh, Carrie, my wife, and I, she's not here with us today. She's holding down the Vance Village um, while I'm here. But um, uh, about this time, a few years ago, I went to Jackson, Mississippi to get assessed to plant a church. And so I know I had talked to Josh. Josh, I feel like I'm called to plant. And at that time, there weren't very many assessment tools for a planter. If, it, basically, if somebody were saying, I'm willing to go uh, you know, to the front lines of church planting, and people were like, well, if you're willing to do that, yeah, we'll say you can do it. And so now there's assessment, there's questionnaires, there's a, you know, a, a weekend retreat 
They call it a retreat, but it's more like a complete examination of your soul. Uh, and so it's not very fun for the pastor's wife, but it's, uh, um, it's so that you can go and know for sure that theologically, uh, missionally, all these things, financially, that you're stable enough, all these things, they look into your life and either give you a, say, yeah, you should go, or hey, you need to pump the brakes on planting, or, or you should never consider doing that. So part of the assessment was they asked me, how are you going to plant a church in Surprise, Arizona? And so I'm on this uh, panel. They called it Shark Tank. It was a little session of our weekend assess. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they were asking me, how are you going to plant the church? And I said, well, uh, we are going to uh, you know, live as missionaries. We're going to gather up regularly, and we're going to scatter out, and when we gather back together, we're going to bring more people with us, and that's how we're going to plant the church, because people are going to believe the gospel. And somebody, one of the guys, the guy that wrote the whole curriculum for the assessment, he said, how, how do you think that's going to work? And I really did think, like, what do you want me to say? We're going to get sword swallowers and lion tamers and I, what? I don't understand. And I, and I said, I guess it's going to work just like it did in the book of Acts. Got quiet in the room. I got my report back two weeks later. I passed assessment with an asterisk. And this probably tells on them a little bit, but I, one of the uh, recommendations, they didn't make me do it, thank goodness, because I probably couldn't have passed through. But they said, we suggest that Jason takes acting skills. And I said, well, why in the world do I need to take acting skills? And they said, well, you're a bit frank. And uh, maybe you should learn how to dial that down a little bit. But anyways, I passionately do believe... I didn't take the acting skills. And we planted a church and we're doing just fine. But we planted... Here's what we did. And I just want to say this to you and encourage you. And I, when I say this, I'm not talking about systems. I'm not trying to uh, convince you that, uh, to do church the way that we do church at Valley Life. Um, I, I'm talking about each Christian's personal responsibility to find a local church, which you have done because you're here today, and then full-on engage in that local church to join the mission of Jesus, what He is doing to reach other people, to set them free from their sin, to see them saved, to see them uh, discipled, to see their life be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as I preach this sermon today, I want you to just think like personally like how you engage. Not do you attend the system? Do you attend the thing that I'm talking about? Because you could listen to this sermon and check your, the box off all your lists and make it through just fine, and it wouldn't have been helpful. But what I want us to think about, because I had to think about these things, knowing my personality. I love ideas. I'm an idea guy. People, mm, they're okay, you know. Uh, so in other words, like I tell my church, I preach for free, but all that pastoring, that's what y'all pay me uh, to do. And so I, know, I knew that about myself moving to a brand new city where I was going to have to, uh, what is the word, network or whatever, get my entrepreneurship on just to meet a bunch of people so that I could share the gospel with them so they would meet uh, Jesus. And so I decided uh, that I was going to say yes to as many people as I possibly could. Now, if you know me very well, I'm really good at saying no a lot. I'm really good at guarding my evenings and finding my chair, and I like my books, and I like just my, my little life, and I don't want you or anyone else to mess with it. That's, that's who I am naturally. But I knew planting a church, I couldn't have the same habits and see a church get planted. I had to change. And so, if you've heard this, you've heard this phrase. I didn't make it up. I don't know who did. But somebody said that your goal needs habits. If you have a goal, you need habits. And our goal is to share the gospel. 
We want to share the gospel. So if we're going to share the gospel, we need to know what the gospel is. And I think an oversimplification of the gospel is Christ in our place. Christ in our place. Christ in our place gives us credit for doing everything right. We'd get that not by merit. We get it by grace. Christ in our place takes the blame for everything that we did wrong and fully forgives us and fully accepts us. And He's raised from the dead. He sent His Spirit to anyone who would believe that. And one day He returns, writes everything that went wrong. That's the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. We're sinful man. He's a holy Savior. He enters into human history to pay in full for what we've done and give us eternal life, fully forgiveness, so that we can worship God. We glorify Him with our lives. That's the gospel. And if, if we're not careful, it's like a gun that we polish and we hold and we cherish and we keep in the safe. But we need to pull the trigger. We need to get that thing out sometimes and shoot it. We need to use the gospel. We need to tell the gospel. We need to share the gospel. We need habits in our life that are going to give us the opportunity to do that. And so that's when we talk about mission. Living a life of mission. And I know that's kind of become a junk drawer term. And it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But when I say mission, here's what I mean. Missionary living or living a sent life is another way to put a handle on this. Is whenever the cultural mandate and the missionary mandate or the great commandment that we're going to read today, when those things collide together and we as a saved people are living set apart lives but also sent lives, that's our habit that for our goal to be achieved. And so when we moved to Surprise, we made a list, or when I moved there, I said, I don't know anybody. My job is to meet people and get to know people. Like vocationally, I'm a church planter. And so I made a few friends. And as soon as I made a few friends, I said yes to everything they asked me to go do with them within reason so that I could meet more people, so that I could share the gospel with them, so that they could believe it, and then we could make a church. And so I met a friend named Eric. And Eric uh, coached Little League football. And my son was interested in football. And Eric asked me one day, Jason, would you like to come check out our practice? To which I said, yes. And so we went to the practice and watched the practice. And Lena said, would you like to meet our friend Noel? And I said, yes. And so we met Noel. And Noel was sitting there and she said, is this the, church, is this the guy who's starting the church that you guys have talked about? And we said, yes. And she said, could I come to that sometime? I said, yes. And she said, well, when does it meet? And I said, it doesn't yet. <laughs> but you'll be a founding member. Are you a Christian? And she said, no. <laughs> you know, and eventually she did become a Christian. She came to our, our community group is what we call, I think you guys call them life groups. And so she came to our uh, life group on a, what, I think a Wednesday night. She came for several weeks, heard the gospel. Uh, we launched the church. And so then she, we started doing some sermon-based questions with this. And then eventually one night as everyone was leaving, she stuck around and said, can I talk to you? I believe this. I believe this in a way I never have. And Noel was one of the first baptisms in our church. She leads our facilities team. She just called to tell me yesterday she's hanging. We have some core values we got to hang up on the wall. We're moving on up. We're putting pictures on the wall now. We're really moving into where we're at. But I say all that to say this, and, and so I've done a lot of talking. Let's get in, in the Word. Look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So we, we, I think we all know this, if you've been around church very long, you, you might know it as the Great Commission. But this is the second mandate that God gives His people. The first mandate that God gives everybody is in Genesis 1, when He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So that's for anybody. God has given everybody and anybody His dignity. Every human being has dignity. God-given dignity. Whether they worship Jesus or not. Whenever, whenever people have a job, and I don't just mean a W-2, I know that there are moms 
and wives that are raising your kids and your husbands, and you are underpaid, and you are doing great work. You're doing a fantastic job, and that is work. That is cultural mandate. That is the cultural mandate that God has called us to. So I don't just want you to think about W-2s and, and having a job. I want you to think about, are you using your life in such a way that is taming the earth? We are supposed to take the dirt and make iPads. Take the dirt and make education. Take the dirt and make government. Take the, church, the, the dirt and make churches. Like God has told all of us to use our lives to make the world a better place. I tell my kids all the time, go subdue your bedroom. Go tame it. It smells funny in there. Go make it a better place for, us, for people to live. And so we get that. And so I, I'm afraid that, that sometimes what we do is we live saved. We believe the gospel. We trust it in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we know our life is supposed to look different. We're supposed to use money and power, influence. Things, things should look different in our life. We should literally live in a smaller home in the same tax bracket of our friends who aren't Christians because they aren't living as generous of a life as what we are financially. Like the way we live financially should impact our budget, which impacts our spending, which impacts our vacations and our homes in such a different capacity because we're trying to leverage our finances for Jesus to make disciples and plant churches and bless other people. The way we use Little League is going to look different than somebody who's using Little League as a functional savior, as a tool for identity. It's going to look different for us than it is for them. So I think we get our head wrapped around we're a saved person. We're saved from hell. We're saved from death. Uh, we're set apart by the Holy Spirit. We are to live differently than everyone else. But I think the missing piece sometimes is that we're also sent. There's a missionary mandate that Jesus has sent us out into the world. And that's what we'll read about here. Um, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Father, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this sent life. This is when the cultural mandate, this is whenever you, you go to work, you're a good neighbor, you're, you're engaged with your family, and, you, and you're leveraging your life, all that you have, to also be able to open your mouth and tell other people the gospel of Jesus. So the, one of the greatest missionaries that we know of was, was Paul. And so Paul had this great theology, which I love. And this is what I knew about myself. When I moved to Surprise, I knew I loved the, the theology of Paul. But I have to be careful because I also want to have the life of Paul. Like Paul, when he went to Corinth, he had, a, he had uh, habits for his goal. And his strategy, every time he went into a city, was to go in a synagogue and tell all the Jewish people that murdered Jesus that Jesus was the Christ. And some of them would believe. Most of them hated Paul for saying it. They would try to throw him in jail or throw him in prison, but he'd take the few people that believed him and bring them out of the synagogue and start a Christian church. And as they started that church, other people in that city would begin to believe. And what was amazing is there were people who were Gentiles who didn't grow up monotheistic, believing in one God. They didn't grow up with a high value of marriage. They didn't grow up knowing the Ten Commandments or having posters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on their wall. But they heard the gospel and they believed it and they were saved into the church. And so Paul's strategy was he'd move to a city. Sometimes he used his job. He built tents and he partnered up with other people who were like-minded and, and believed in Jesus. And he started with these people and he eventually he sowed the gospel into a community and harvested a church. And so that's where we see here in, in verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. 
That's where Jesus told them to do. He told them to go gather up at one spot. Get together, gather up, and it says when they saw Him there, they worshipped Him, but some of them there doubted. They doubted there. Now, this, the reason they doubt is because this is the resurrected Jesus. That's where we're at in the timeline. Jesus has lived, died, raised from the dead. The girls went to the tomb to, to, to take care of Jesus' body. He wasn't there. The angels told them he was headed to Galilee and go to tell the brothers to meet him there. And as they're headed back to go tell the brothers, Jesus tells them, hey, it's me. They have this great meeting. And, the, and they're excited. And they send the guys. And the guys go to meet Jesus. And they kind of gather up like we're gathered up right now. And they gathered up to hear Je- Jesus. What is it? You, res- you raised from the dead. What are you going to tell us? And this is what Jesus tells them. He tells them this great commission that they're sent. And so he tells them, gather up. That's what we've done today. And I want you to know, as we are gathered today, this is the greatest place to bring your doubts. I, hope th- I do hope that there are some doubts in the room today. I hope that there are some things that you go, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if I can trust the Lord with my money that way. I don't know if I can trust the Lord with this friendship and put it on the line and share the gospel. I don't know if I can raise my family that way. There's, there are things that you, when you say, I don't know, that's because you're going to have to step out on a limb of faith and trust Jesus. Like if, you, if, you, if it was a dead absolute certainty, it would require no kind of trust, okay? And so this is the strongest place to bring your doubts. And whenever we gather together, like we are right now, we see Jesus here. Just like those disciples, when they gathered together, they literally saw Jesus. Paul tells us when we gather together, the city sees Jesus. We can see Jesus. The hands and the feet. There are uh, speakers here. There are thinkers here. There are servants here. There are volunteers here. When we gather together, we see the body of Christ. And then Jesus, he pulled them together. And then he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And if anybody saw him resurrected, they were like, I believe that now. I think that's true. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And this going is a posture. We might think of missionary living as people who are sent overseas to a third world country or somebody like me who has to move to a new city to start a brand new church. Now I know my vocation is church planter or missionary with the North American Mission Board, but that's, that's the job description. But the reality is that, that the lifestyle should exist for all of us. Uh, words like missionary, disciple, Christian... Those are all interchangeable words. They should all mean pretty much the same thing. That's who Jesus has saved us to be. So He's in charge and He's commanded us to go tell people about His life, death, and His resurrection. So this go, I want you to think about this as you go. What does it look like to go? looks like these three things. Be intentional with your week. Be intentional with your words. And be intentional about your weaknesses. How do you be intentional with your week? Well, if you're like me, I grew up going to church, and I grew up hearing preacher stories, and all the preacher stories were about preachers flying on airplanes, sitting beside some total stranger and sharing the gospel with them, and then they would believe it and come to find out that guy was a Saudi prince or something, and then it just changed the world. Who knows the stories that I'm talking about like that? So as you go, as we share, the the people that we're going to share the gospel with are the people that we already know, the people in our rhythm of life. They're the person who gives us the mail. They're the person that uh, when we go pay for the gas that we pumped, whenever we buy our groceries, the people that we work beside, the people that get on our nerves, the people that irritate us, and the people that we irritate. These are the people that we are held accountable to Jesus to share the gospel with. They're the people you work around, you play around, and you live around. So open up your eyes to see those people with gospel potential. That that person down the street may be an elder in this church one day. 
That someone may be a life group leader. That someone may be the, the next baptism in this church may be the person that you've just met and befriended to share the gospel with. Be intentional. Be intentional with your words. Somebody said, uh, share the gospel by all... It, how, I, I'm going to mess it up because I don't think it's a very good phrase. But share the gospel and if necessary, use words. You heard that before. That's like saying, feed all the starving children and if necessary, use food. Like, it's absolutely necessary to use food to feed people. It's absolutely necessary to use our words to share the gospel. We are a confessional people. Christians are a confessional people. You'll notice that sin becomes powerless when it is confessed, when it is brought into light, when we say it with our mouth to someone that we trust and bring it into to our church family and say, this is where I struggle. You'll notice that sin will begin to weaken and begin to die because we brought it into the light. And there's people who love Jesus and love us and are going to help us walk through that. And the gospel is most powerful when it is proclaimed. And I know we should demonstrate the gospel, do kind things, acts of service, uh, all those things. Be generous. Pay for somebody's bill and make them wonder, why in the world would you do that? And then say, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why. Life, death, resurrection of Jesus. My favorite... So people ask me all the time, how do you share the gospel with someone? And I think what they're asking... They think of it like sales. Okay? And so what they want to know is like, what is the, Pastor, what is the sales pitch we're going to use? How do you get a sure shot way of getting somebody hooked in? I'm like, well, it's, uh, that tells on, and I've, I've thought that before. I've totally thought that. I'm not outside of that. But that tells on us that we're kind of thinking like sales. And I think if we're not careful, what we do is, I don't know if y'all do this, but do you ever like build up inside, like you ever get a little passive, any passive aggressive people in here? All the direct aggressive people are like, yeah, let me tell you who they are. But there'll be some times in my little family to where somebody will be irritated with something that happened. Or maybe you were supposed to take the trash out, you didn't take the trash out, and she took the trash out because you forgot. And then a week goes by and nothing gets said about it, and a couple weeks go by, and eventually you're trying to go eat something. And you say, where do you want to eat? Or she asks you where you want to eat, and you say, I don't know where we want to eat. And she goes, you never know where you want to go eat! You're like, whoa, where'd this come from? You didn't take the trash out two weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Like, usually, that doesn't, usually we don't say that that's what's bothering us. But you know what it's like to bury something deep within, and then all of a sudden, like a volcano, you erupt. Then you feel silly and think, why didn't we just talk about that sooner? This was dumb. We got in a big old fight when all we had to do was communicate. But I think sometimes we as Christians do the same thing with the gospel. We read about it, we believe it, we cherish it, we hold it down deep, and we never talk about it. And then all of a sudden, somebody will post something crazy on Facebook. We're like, let me tell you something. Or a friend will come over and there'll be a hot-button topic, something that just gets us emotionally. And then we just try to convince them of the creation versus evolution. And we're, we're getting theological. We're all over the map. We're just dumping everything we know on this person and just trying to argue our way, argue them into the kingdom of heaven. And I just want us to think about it in a different way, like Jesus and our church family and what we're doing at our church, it should just be so natural to talk about. And I think people don't know how to talk about it. Maybe you do, but at my church, they don't. They kind of treat it like this odd thing they don't know how to interject into a conversation. And so for me, it's real simple. I just go to Little League games or wherever I go, and, some, and I'll ask somebody, hey man, where are you from? Because everybody's from somewhere else. And, and they'll say, well, I came from Minnesota or wherever. And I'll say, what do you do for work? And they'll tell me. And then eventually they'll get tired of talking about themselves. And they'll ask me, well, where are you from? I'll say, I'm from Oklahoma. 
And then they'll usually ask me about tornadoes or something like that. And then they'll say, what brought you here? And I'll say, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I came to start a church. And then sometimes it's like, oh. And sometimes like, well, my dad was a pastor, and you guys must all know each other. And we go down that conversation, you know, for a little bit. But eventually I just say, hey, are you a Christian? Just that, are you a Christian? And sometimes when you ask that, people think what you're asking is, are you a good person? Do you try to be good? But I say, what I mean is, in Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead and confess with your lips that, he's the, that He is your Lord, you'll be saved. Have you ever believed like that? Do you believe that stuff? And sometimes people will say, no, and I don't want to. And I'll say, okay, man. But man, just if you ever have questions, think of me. I'd love to answer them. And sometimes people will say, yes, I am a Christian. And I'll say, well, what church do you go to? And they'll tell me. And I'll say, I'll encourage them. Well, that's great. Uh, but if you ever want to leave, I just, I'm just kidding. I don't ever say it. But sometimes people say, no, will you help me walk through this? And yes, it's just point them to Jesus and His Word. It's really less like a sales pitch, and it's more like, you want to go fishing? Hey, what are you doing Friday night? You want to come over? It's just, it should be a normal part of our rhythms of life. As we go, be intentional with your week, be intentional with your words, and be intentional about your weaknesses. Now, I know that there's like 16 different personality types and all these different things, and I don't know if you know numbers of Enneagrams or care about them, or whatever, it doesn't matter. I know that every one of you are special. Okay. But I'm going to oversimplify it and boil it down to say there's people in the room who get charged up by being around people and using words. And the more you talk and the more you're around people, you get energized. Then there's people like me. <laughs> that the more you use your words and the more you're around people, you get tired. It doesn't mean you don't like people. It means that it makes you tired to talk and use your words. And sometimes when you have a lot of people over at your house, you have to go back into your bedroom and go in your stand, walk-in closet, stand there for 20 minutes, reboot, walk back out, hey, and see everybody again. I don't know who, who all does that, but... So some of you are wired like me, and the buzzword is called introverted, if you want to read, look it up or whatever, but it just means that people make you tired. It does not mean you don't like people. But here's the thing. You're probably really good at guarding your energy and your time and your family and all this stuff, and if you're not careful in your shadow, you'll use that as an insulation tool, and next thing you know, you literally don't know who you would share the gospel with because you don't have any friends outside of people who are already Christians and people who are already in your little routine. And I would say, if you're like me, what I had to do was I had to practice saying yes more often to more people. And people usually say, but what if I start saying yes too much? To which I reply, if you're like that, you won't. <laughs> you won't. Just say yes to more invites. Somebody wants you to go to dinner with them, say yes more than what you typically would. Expand your circle of relationships to people who aren't yet Christians so that you can be kind to them, and when the window of opportunity opens up, you can share about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Some of you are more extroverted. You know everybody. You're busy. You help people move. You, you go fishing all the time. You know every single person that you went to high school with. You've kept up with them. You have like so many friends on Facebook. You got the little blue check by your name because you're like uh, a social media star because you know so many people. And here's what I was, and what I've learned about my extroverted friends is like, if you ever want to have any kind of coffee or breakfast or have them help you do anything on the weekend, you want to book them first before they do anything else throughout the day. Because what happens is they'll be with you and they'll stay with you 30 minutes longer than what they told that person that they were going to meet at 10. And then they show up that, who knows, this might be your life. And then next thing you know, you're late to that one and you stayed 30 minutes late. And then by the end of the day, the last thing you were going to do, you can't do because you stayed and talked so much at all the other 
stuff. That probably means you are energized by using your words. But here's what I found about my extroverted friends is they have a lot of surface level relationships. They've helped a lot of people move. They've demonstrated the gospel a lot with good deeds, but they don't know people well enough to know, hey, what's going on in your marriage? Let me really dial in. What's going on in your life? How are you doing? Like, how's your soul? Like, do I know you well enough to be able to speak gospel truth to you to share the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus with you? So be open or be intentional about your weakness. Know know how God has made you and know how He's made your personality. You're going to have to be intentional to share the gospel as you go. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We should be baptizing new believers because baptism is a powerful demonstration to show others that we identify with Jesus, that we're dead to sin and we're raised to a new life in Jesus. And if you have a fear of baptism or that weirds you out or something like that, what, what I used to say is that baptism is like a wedding ring. Put it on. It doesn't have the power to make you married. That happens when you stand in covenant and say, I do, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, the, it's, it's a symbol. But I would say that baptism, and fellas, if you'll let me use this illustration, but baptism, not getting baptized. If Jesus has saved you and you just refuse, I, I just don't think I can get baptized. That would be like at the end of a wedding if the pastor said, all right, I now pronounce to you, husband and wife, you may kiss the bride. And if the husband was like, whoa, wait, (laughs) in front of everybody? (laughs) Like she might have reservations now. That might be weird. And so I I would think like at some point that, so I tell people in our church, and I don't know where you guys are at personally, but we've got people who grew up, they got baptized when they were babies. They grew up Catholic or whatever. And they'll say, do I need to, should I get baptized? And I'll say, absolutely, if you're a believer now. If you've, if you've met Jesus and He saved you, get baptized. In a believer's baptism, like we read about in Acts. So I would encourage you, like, if you have met Jesus and you have not been baptized, after you met Jesus and He saved you and forgiven you of your sins, and here's one powerful reason why. First of all, Jesus tells us to do it. He just told us to baptize new believers. Second of all, when it comes to living sin and missionary lives, people want to see you get baptized. You can invite your friends to come and see this, and it's a powerful life drama of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and how we've died to sin and we're alive to Christ. And man, it is powerful for people, and I've had friends who have met Jesus because they saw someone's baptism. Baptism is a powerful demonstration of the gospel. Do that. In in verse 20, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we don't just share the gospel with people and leave them alone. We open our Bibles and we open our lives so that we can help each other walk closer to Jesus and further away from sin. And here's where I've got it wrong in the past. And again, this is, you can't just fix this by saying, like at my church, we do community group. Or here we do uh, life groups. And I'm not just simply saying, get in one. I'm saying, use it. I like to know what things are for. Use things for what they're meant for. And so what I have found is sometimes people will open their Bibles and they'll close their life. Open their Bible and close their life. And information becomes the, the, the currency. And so we begin to learn and we begin to know things. And so that's typically called a Bible study. And Bible studies are not bad. They're great. Seminary is basically one big old huge Bible study, or it ought to be. It should be. Maybe it's not always. It ought to be. Bible study is good, but in a Bible study, you attend that thing. You don't necessarily belong to that group of people. If you weren't there, they would notice the chair was empty. It'd be like taking a class. But like at my family, at the end of the day, when the streetlights come on and it's time to eat supper, if my son doesn't come home, we don't just go, oh, Devin's not attending the Vance Village tonight. We go look for him because we're responsible for him. He's our family. 
And so whenever we have open Bibles and closed lives, the information is usually the currency. We want to know things about the Bible, but repentance may not happen because people don't know you well enough to help you navigate through your blind spots. And see, blind spots aren't... aren't it's blind, when I say a blind spot, what you probably just thought of was procrastination. Areas of procrastination in your life. Areas you know ought to change, but you just haven't got around to them yet, like filing your taxes or cleaning out the garage. But a blind spot is an area of your life you have no idea needs to change because you're so comfortable there. You're so cozy there. And someone who loves Jesus and loves you needs to be close enough to you to know God's Word, know you, and help you know God's Word and help you repent for the glory of God and for the good of you and your family. The other area of error that I've seen is whenever we have open lives, but we have closed Bibles. And that happens a lot. Open lives and closed Bibles. What typically happens is when we all get together in a community group, and this has happened at Valley Life Church, surprise, okay? Um, we all, we'll all get together and may not get to the questions, and there's a powerful personality in the room, and it's somebody who loves Jesus very much, but what happens is that person doesn't just become, isn't just functioning as a mentor to that group of people. That person begins to function as a mediator to that group of people, and people stop reading, their wor- reading the Word or praying. They just ask this guy what they think, what he would do all the time. And if you don't have your Bible open and you just have your life open, then really um, peer pressure is the currency. It's what this guy thinks So how I'm living my life. I'm living for his approval ultimately. Who should I marry? What job should I take? What should I do? What would this person think? It's great to have mentors, but your mentors should not be your mediators to God. That should be Jesus. And so whether it's a life group or Sunday school or community group, I'm not talking about a system. I'm not talking about a structure. I'm talking about the posture of our hearts when we engage with our friends. I'd love for our lives to be open and our Bibles to be open so that we can help each other confess our sin and repent and walk closer to Jesus. And then finally, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And really all of this work is Holy Spirit work. It's not sales. It's not giving away TVs and you know, sword swallowers and all the stuff I said earlier. It's trusting the Holy Spirit of God. It's being kind, making friendships, getting to know people, sharing the, opening our mouths to share the gospel, then, opening our, then baptizing our friends, then opening our lives and opening our Bibles to help people walk closer to Jesus and further from sin, while knowing the whole time it's the Holy Spirit of God who empowers us to live this sent life. And it's the Holy Spirit of God who gives our friends the eyes to see the truth and ears to receive the truth and a heart to love the truth and be changed by Jesus. And here's the thing. I think Jesus told us this because there's going to be times that it doesn't feel like He's with us. We're going to be so tempted to root our confidence in our circumstances and not in the character of God. That He's with us. When someone rejects Jesus, He's with us. doesn't mean it didn't work. It is working. The gospel is working when we share it. And this is why church family is so important. Because if we are going to live a sent life, if you're really going to care deeply for your spouse to believe, for your kids to believe, for your neighbors to believe, for your coworkers to believe, if you're going to care deeply and you're going to live intentionally, you're going to take it personal because it is a personal thing. You're going to get encouraged when someone believes. You're going to get discouraged when people don't believe. And that's why we, that's one reason. That's not the reason why. It's one of the many reasons why we need the church. And we should not forsake being together. Because when we're together, 
immersed deeply in God's Word with open Bibles, surrounded by God's people, helping us watch each other's blind spots and loving each other well, speaking truth in love to one another so that we can repent, and knowing the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling us, living within us, setting us apart, sealing us up. That's when we see, that's when we're around Jesus. We see the hands and the feet of Jesus. We want to bring our friends who are outside of this into this, even if they're not yet a Christian, so they can see and believe. People see Jesus whenever we take uh, communion. Here in a little bit, we still take communion? Here, yeah, when, when we take communion, you're going to see a, a picture of who, the, who identifies us as they are the church, who elders have said, you, yes, you believe. Yes, you're, you're in. It's a picture of Jesus and His church. So I'd ask you, are you saved and set apart but not living a sent life? I would encourage you to repent by saying yes more. Making friends with people who aren't Christians so that they could become Christians through the Holy Spirit working through your life as you point people to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Have you become a Christian and you've never been baptized? I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Josh and get baptized. Tell him. Tell your, invite your family to come and see. Have you been baptized, but you feel stuck in your faith? I would encourage you to join a life group. Get around some people where you can open your life and open your Bible so people can help you and you can help others walk away from sin and closer to Jesus. And I would say this, do you want to be a Christian? I'll ask you this question. Do you want to be a Christian if you're not? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is raised from the dead and confess with your lips that He's Lord, you'll be saved. The power isn't in your ability to say some words. The power is not even in your ability to want something to be true. The power is in its truth that Jesus raised from the dead. That Jesus, with the same voice that told the sun and the moon and the stars where to go, how to orbit, all that stuff, that when we faith in Him, He applies His work to our lives and it fully forgives us of our sins and He fully accepts us as His family and He saves us and He seals us up and He sends us out to bring more people in to this family. So if that's you, believe. Believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It typically looks like someone praying and saying, Father, here's what I feel guilt over in my life, the sins I've committed. Forgive me for those sins and show me how to live the best that I can to follow you. I encourage you to do it. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of the gospel that it's what brings all of us together. That you've sealed us up. You've saved us from hell. But Father, you've also sent us out to play in that space. And go with you when you go. And play some role in seeing you save other people and add to your church. And Father, we long for the day that you rip open the sky and bring heaven to earth. And Father, I pray that when we stand there, there'll be more friends with us standing, longing for home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.